Well, good morning, and welcome again to Church of the Beloved. Uh, Merry Christmas, and Happy New Year to you all. I hope it's been a peaceful time with friends and family. I do know that peaceful and family do not always go together, and so if it's been crazy like it has been for me, hopefully it's been good crazy and eventful, and more than anything else, you've been able to see the Lord over this holiday season. If not, it's never too late to spend time to reflect on your Savior through the holidays. I want to say this is kind of a one-off sermon we're doing. We just ended our Advent series last week, and we'll be beginning a new series uh, next week in some kind of this awkward middle child. They always give me all the awkward services. And so we have this, this, this middle one-off sermon uh, today, and I was reflecting and thinking through what I wanted to preach on. And, and God brought me to this verse that we read for today in Philippians. And I think he brought me here because as I was thinking back, you know, about the year we've had as a church, this is actually what came to my mind, starting in verse 3 and 4 where he says, I thank God every time I remember you guys. And I pray for you guys with joy and with hope and with excitement in my spirit. I think it's easy for us to look back at this year and think about all the things that went wrong and we actually forget all the things that God actually did. And so many of you guys, you know, even if you're still here watching uh, this live service, I mean, you've persevered through a lot. And you've been patient with us as a church. You've been patient with this community, and you have served this community. I mean, we've needed volunteers. We need people to step up, you know, through wacky, wacky situations. We've needed people to serve in small groups. People have helped in different ministries. And even outside of these four walls, I've seen so many of you guys being willing to be used by the Lord. You're loving the vulnerable people who are affected by this virus. You've marched, right? You've protested uh, for those who were being disproportionately uh, uh, shown injustice. All these things are like what Paul describes in his verse, partnerships in bringing the gospel to the city and to our neighborhoods. And so many of you this year, I want to give you the freedom to remember how you have offered yourselves up for the Lord to use for his kingdom's sake. And I want to say thank you. Thank you for partnering with us. Thank you more importantly for partnering with each other in the Lord in doing his work. And I hope that you can look back at this year and remember all the good things that he has done in us, through us, in spite of us, all that good stuff. Uh, for today, though, I do want to focus on verse 6 of this section, right? And as I was thinking about verse 6, I began to think about New Year's resolutions. And I have very mixed feelings about New Year's resolutions because I actually worked uh, in the gym industry when I was younger. I know it's a little bit surprising for some of you guys, but once upon a time, I was a decently fit, you know, a personal trainer. And uh, there's no other, I think, sector that's affected by New Year's resolutions uh, quite like gyms are, right? And in January, I saw it, it was popping. It was hopping. People were all over the place. There was energy. There was new sign-ups. People were, are literally like tripping over themselves to be more fit this next year. And then by March, it was just me and my boss. You know? And we, we weren't even working out. Like I was on ESPN. He was on Netflix. Like we weren't even pursuing our fitness goals either anymore. Like it's just like, it's just kind of like, pfft, right? That's how it happens. And it's interesting, and this is a little bit of a tangent, but y'all know me. Um, it was interesting because 
one day I was sitting at my computer and I was looking at all the members we had listed uh, for the gym. And I thought to myself, if even half the people came who have signed up for gym membership, we would have to like shut down because we wouldn't be able to physically hold the people there. It'd be like a fire hazard, right? And I wondered, I was like, you know, as someone who's employed by the gym, what is my true goal? Is it to get as many members as possible? Or is it actually to help catalyze change in people's lives? And it's funny because now I work in the uh, church industry. And I sometimes wonder the same question. What we do here as a church, is is it about membership? Or is what we're doing as churchgoers, church members, church leaders, is it fostering change in those who come? I digress a little bit. Because to me, you know, going back to New Year's resolutions, what I like about it to a degree is that there's almost this naivety to it. Where people really look at their lives and they say, you know, who I am today does not have to be who I am tomorrow. Like, I can reflect, I can see uh, places I want to change, and I can actually go out and do it. There's something really cool to me about that hope and that belief, and that's to a degree where I kind of like New Year's resolutions. And I think if there's ever a year uh, for those, uh, this is a good year to have them. Because we've had a long, long time this year to reflect on a lot of things and to seek change, you know. I don't think I've ever had a year where I talked more about, you know, uh, different uh, political uh, powers in in our nation, Um, you know, the relations between uh, black people and and the cops or, or, you know, inequity and and how uh, um, poverty affects, you know, health care and disproportionately affects different, like, all these conversations, like, I've never had so many as I had this year reflecting and evaluating the different systems and the powers and the hearts of our leaders uh, in this nation. But also in the church. The one blessing of COVID I've said, and and COVID overall I think has been a tremendous uh, burden to our nation and to many people, but the one thing I say about it is that for the church, it has made us pause all our programs and ministries that we were just kind of doing absentmindedly. And we've had to sit and be like, Wait, why are we doing these things? Like, who is the church supposed to be again? Like, what, what, is our, what is our goal again? Can I go back to my first point? Who are we and who do we want to be as a church? We've been able to reflect on that this year as well. But we haven't just reflected on those external things. If you're like me, you've had a lot of self-introspection as well. And chances are uh, you've been humbled by what you've seen. It's crazy when things are taken away from you. The way they've been taken away from us this year, what it reveals about who we truly are. It shows us what we, what we really desire, who we really desire, like, like where our hearts really are at. And that's happened a lot, perhaps for many of us. And I started counseling, I said, for the first time uh, this year, just a couple months ago, and, and it's been humbling to me. And it's been humbling in, in an interesting way. It, it isn't humbling because, you know, I have to kind of confess, you know, some of my sins or, or mistakes, believe it or not. I knew I had, you know, one or two weaknesses, only a couple. 
Um, but for me, what's humbling is not that I confess these mistakes, but it's, it's, it's the same mistakes every time we meet. And I've realized that it isn't just that I have sin, it's that I literally have habitual sin. Like I do the same thing. I might window dress it so it looks different in my actions, but the same, but, but the heart desire or, or the heart failure is actually the same in my actions. And it's been so humbling week after week to be talking to him and be like, it's the same problem this week. Can you help me out? You know, and I wonder if he gets tired of it. I guess he doesn't get tired of the paycheck. But I kind of get tired of confessing it. I get tired of that. And it's a thing that happens, man. If you really sit, as I often have had the freedom to do this year in particular, and you look at the depravity of your heart, like you're looking at the, the tendencies you have. I have so much more kind of free time and flexibility with my schedule and looking at the things I fill my schedule with, the things that my heart actually really desires. Like, like, like the depth of, of my contentment with being a, a, a churchgoer, someone who's kind of nice or doesn't swear that, swear that much, rather than being somebody who is looking for gospel transformation in my neighborhood, being a beacon of light, right? being salt to the earth, being somebody people can look at and say there, there's Holy Spirit power coming out of that person that's changing this world, like being content with this kind of mediocrity. It's easy to be discouraged when you see that in yourself. When you look in the mirror and you don't like uh, your heart or the person that's looking back at you. And at times, you know, I began to even wonder myself, maybe the gym got it right. Maybe we can't really change. Like maybe this is what the Christian life is. Like maybe we've just kind of peaked as believers, as, as disciples. And I don't know if anyone of us felt this way, but I'm like, is God really working in this world? Is the Spirit of God really working in our hearts? Or is this who we are destined to be forever? And I think what Paul is telling us, what Paul is telling this young, uh, small church in Philippi, full of young believers, probably quite like our church, is that God truly is working to transform us. God is working to transform us. God is molding us. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is giving life to our mortal bodies. God is doing a work inside of us. And so if it's true that we've looked at ourselves this year and we've seen the messiness, the depravity, I want to cheer you up by saying this. You're actually worse than you think you are. Right? Like we're actually much worse than we think. Like the mirror is actually lying to us. We look much worse than that. But that's good because it means then that God's grace for us is so much greater than what we imagine. Because Paul is saying you can have confidence that God is still transforming you. That what you look like today doesn't have to be who you are tomorrow. Paul's kind of doing two things, actually. In one way, he's actually kind of uh, confirming our deepest fear. In one way, he's saying that actually, you know, you can't change. 
It's kind of what Paul's saying. He's saying you can't change. You can't change. But you can be changed. That's what's happening here. You can be transformed. The church can be changed. The church can be transformed. This nation can be changed. Can be transformed. And so if we've been exposed as a church, if we've been exposed as individual, praise God. If we've seen in our nation broken systems and racism, thank the Lord. What a gift. Because maybe now we will learn to rely on the one who can change us. To put our confidence in him and him alone. Use that word confidence. That's a, that's a word that Paul uses. Confidence in verse 6. What does he say? Being confident of this, that he who began a good work. The English doesn't actually do that word justice or that phrase justice, being confident. What Paul actually is saying to a degree is being persuaded, being convinced. When you read it in the Greek, that's some connotation you get. That Paul's saying, I was, I, I've been persuaded. I've been convinced that God will do this work. What does that tell you? Paul didn't actually always believe this. He didn't always know this. That he had to uh, uh, let God begin to reveal and persuade him that this is how he works. And I say that because if you're watching this and you are actually in a place where it's hard for you to believe that God wants to and is and will transform you, it's okay. Paul was there too. And I have faith that God will persuade, convince you that this is what he is doing in your life. But that phrase has another kind of connotation too. Another definition I saw was that uh, it says yielding to. Paul is saying that I'm yielding to this idea. I, I kind of liked it because it felt to me that it was a little bit stronger than just having doubt that we can change. It felt like yielding to means you, you, you almost stop resisting. Like at times we almost resist God's change in our lives. And I was trying to think of an analogy, and the best I could come up with was a vine I saw a long time ago. And if you're an OG, you know what vine is. Now they have what? Tick clock and tick tock and all that stuff. But vine was where the OGs, you know, we used to reside in 2014. But like I saw one long time ago, and it was this kid who was like carrying, I think it was like juice or something in his hand, like right here. And, and, and he spilled some. And his mom came to kind of come and pick it up. But, the, you know, the kid, he was confident. He waved his mom off. I think he was one years old. And, and he reached down to clean the juice himself. But as you can imagine, he didn't think to maybe put this juice down first before he went to clean it up. And so what happened is he reached down. He just started spilling more juice on the ground as he's cleaning the one up on, that's already there. I said, what a perfect analogy of what happens in our lives as God is trying to change us in the way we resist him is that we try to help. <laughs> we try to change ourselves. We try to clean up the mess ourselves and all we do is spill more juice on the ground, make a bigger mess. And I thought two things, that what Paul said here is still true. Even when we resist God or try to help and make a bigger mess, God will still clean it up. Like, I have no doubt once the video ended, the mom picked her little son up, right, put him somewhere where he could do no more harm, and she cleaned the mess. 
but it might have taken a little longer, right, than it would have had he just yielded to his mom's help. And I say that I think it's important. I don't want to make it seem that we're just robots God acts on. I think uh, the Bible says it clearly. We can quench the spirit of God. We can grieve the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is a vehicle, the power, the Bible says, of change in our life. And we can quench the Spirit. We can grieve the Spirit. We can resist and not yield to God. But it's still hopeful because, right, Theology 101, the Gospel says that even when we resist, even when we were enemies of God, He died for us. And that's why Paul says you could have confidence that no matter what you do or you don't do, he'll get it done. He'll get it done. And so uh, I like how at the end he talks about God completing this work on the day of Christ Jesus. It's often a phrase that I don't hear talked about when I hear this verse. And I wanted to look into it. And if you have time, I actually encourage you to read all the different references of Christ Jesus in the Old Testament. It's kind of easy and quick to study to see kind of what the Jewish understanding of it was and how that, how that applied to Paul and how he uses it in the New Testament. Um, but Paul specifically um, in 1 Corinthians, I'll, I'll read it for us, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, uh, verse 11, talks about this idea of, of the day of Christ. And what he says here is, um, no one can lay any foundation. This is in verse 11 of chapter 3, 1 Corinthians. No one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation, Christ, using gold and silver and costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day, and that's where the reference to the day of Christ is, the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. And I liked this passage because it's a good kind of a summation of the, the prevailing theology of the day of Christ in this time. And that's that it would be a day of judgment. It would be a day of sifting. A time for God to really uh, begin to sort all people according to their actions and their work. To look at their hearts. To see by fire what's going to prevail and what's going to stand. In verse 9 of chapter 1, he mentions this day of Christ again. He says, this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. Verse 10. So that you may be able to discern what is good it may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. So here he talks again about this idea of judgment, but he gives us a little bit of what God will be judging us on. If your love is abounding more and more. And this is one of the things that I think we actually get wrong about um, the day of Christ, about God's judgment. I think we think that we're going to stand before God and he's going to be like, did you do this or, or did you do that? But I think of it. God asks us anything, he's going to say, did you love this person? Or did you love that person? And that's what the test will be. It's a cool thing here. I don't have enough time to kind of really get into it. But in the verse we had for today, 
in verse 6 where Paul talks about completion. The Greek word is teleos. It's the same word that Christ uses in Matthew where he's talking about us loving our neighbors and praying for those who persecute us. And so all this wrapped together, what I'm saying is that Paul is describing a day of judgment and what that day of judgment will bring, what God is judging is how well we love people. If our love is abounding more and more, like in verse 9, if we're loving our enemies and praying for those who persecute us. And so Paul's saying that the work that's being done in you, the good work, is God building that in you. That you are becoming more and more a person of love. You're becoming more and more a person who is generous and kind and slow to anger and actually looks for those who are opposing you, who are considered your enemies, and praying and caring for them. And you might say to yourself, I, I can't imagine a situation, right, where, where God will be judging me, looking at my life on this day, and say, well done, good and faithful servant. But Paul's saying, God can't imagine that. You might not be there yet. Your love might not abound yet. You, you might still get angry and salty and avoid your neighbors or avoid your enemies and, and actually wish ill on them in your heart. But God's like, but, but, but I'm going to bring you. I'm going to grow you. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mold you into this exact person I'm looking for, this disciple who will enter my kingdom of heaven. God is both judge and defense attorney. You know what I'm saying? He's doing both in our lives for us. He's orchestrating the very transformation required to enter his presence in the first place. And so the last thing I want to mention about this idea of the day of Christ is that in the Bible, it's interesting, it's, it's, it's described as being both near and far. As being both soon and sometime in the future. I think regardless, the idea is that it requires patience. This day that Paul is saying God is going to complete this work in, it might come after we die, the day of Christ. And so what does that tell you? That this transforming work that God is doing, it might take time. It might be slow. and We might be discouraged. We might want it to be instant. And I believe that God can instantly transform us if we are fully yielded to him. But at times, he will allow us to be in seasons of hurt and in pain and in the wilderness where he's going to slowly transform us and change our hearts. I think of when I talked before about, you know, Exodus. Remember that story when they were attacking the Israelites and everyone was scattered and panicked and Moses was cool as a cucumber. And he said, you guys go and defend. I will wait till tomorrow to pray to God to rescue us. And throughout Exodus, I was saying, we, we saw that example where God's like, tomorrow I will come. Tomorrow I will do this work. Tomorrow I will save you. And it's the same idea. As we look at this last year and think about next year, it is possible that it's tomorrow that we will begin to really see the transformation. And it requires patience and trust and confidence 
like Paul mentions to us here. I'm going to call the band up actually now. I want to make sure that we have time to really pray to God about this uh, next year and in reflection of this past year. You know, I've thought a lot about uh, what my ministry can look like in this next season. And in some ways, you know, I've realized that the things I feel like God is calling me to do, I don't actually feel ready for a lot of them. But what God has come to show me is that it's not about me feeling ready, it's me trusting that He is ready. And in this new year, whatever it is, whatever mission He has for me, whatever thing He's calling me to do, uh, He will be the one that provides the strength the competency, the encouragement, the boldness to go out and do it. And my hope is that you enter this new year with the same mindset. God is calling you to all these different things this next year. To keep partnering in the gospel, to look for ministry opportunities. I have no idea how he wants to use you for his kingdom in Chicago this next year. But I do know that through it, in it, after it, he's transforming. And he's calling you to learn again to rest and to trust him as he equips you for every good work that he has for you. And I want us to have this mindset, even as we reflect on this past year, it's easy again to be discouraged. But man, I think God did good work. I think in ways we don't even realize he, he molded us and he matured us. He helped us grow. He helped us see things that we wouldn't have seen otherwise. He's exposed us. But he's transforming us and we will look back and we will say, thank you God for the things that you did, the things you are doing, and the things that you will do. So as we prepare for a time of prayer, I want to say again, I'm so thankful for many of you guys this past year who have partnered in the gospel, have dedicated your life uh, to Christ and his service. And even in the times you failed, I want to say this. I am confident that God is molding you, shaping you, equipping you, and bringing to completion the good work that he is starting in you because of Christ. And so if you're comfortable, let's bow our heads now in prayer to God. And let's first reflect on this past year. I have no idea what, the, what emotions, what feelings you have when you, when you think about all that you've been through, all that we've been through. Just come now and just lay it at the feet of the Father. Just talk to him. Talk and process with God this year. The things you learned, the things, the ways you were even exposed. The things he was showing you. Just talk to your father now.